0: Carol Malayakosis is the founder of a new venture called Marketpool, which she reveals for the first time here in our interview. She's been in sales since 2010, co founded a company in the consumer packaged goods space, and has been part of three founding sales teams where two of the startups became acquired. Carol's personally made over 500,000 cold calls and closed over $2 million in revenue. Oh, and she speaks five languages. In this episode, we spend the first half of the interview learning from Carol's career and her transition into sales consulting. Then we talk founder-led sales issues and strategies. Finally, we wrap up with Carol's advice on how to move efficiently from a founder-led model to a sales-led sales model. All right, so you were uh, a part of two founding sales teams. In both cases, these teams were acquired, so you've had those two exits. But How old were you when, when that took place?
1: I was part of three founding three. teams. Two Magic number. Of which, two of which became acquired. Uh, I was in my mid to late twenties.
0: Okay, so so by this time, you had co-founded, built, sold your first company. You were, uh, as we mentioned, you know, first sales hires and going through that growth trajectory of with with three different companies. Um, you sold goat cheese door-to-door to retail stores for your house sister's company who, own, who owned the company uh, and so by this time you had also learned five languages is that I, I,
1: I speak five languages yeah five
0: languages so uh Carol you are one of the most ambitious and driven people I know but where's that all come from where, where does all that come
1: from a lot of comes across that way
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I speak <laughs> no, one language no way. and I'm still figuring that one out. So I don't know how you do five.
1: Um, you know, I think I think sort of my career trajectory has been a big, happy accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not grow up thinking I want to be a salesperson. And I don't think most people do. I think they kind of fall into it. Uh, and then if if they become good at it, they they really like it. Right. Ah, uh, but that's not what I went to school for. That's not what I was planning on doing. Yeah,
0: you went to school and for then, literature, right? French, and uh, was it yeah, French and Italian language and literature.
1: Yes. Wow. Which was also sort of an accident because I was I was studying music as a child and as a teenager. Um, so when I graduated college, my older sister asked me to go work for her and sell goat cheese. And it's not like I had anything else planned. Uh, so I said, you know, sure, why not? Uh, and I, I started doing it and I, I really, really enjoyed it. I loved speaking to customers. I was excited about the product. I liked the interactions. I liked the opening new markets part of it I loved the whole thing and I sort of you know jumped into it and trying to learn as much as I could uh, and it was my first job and also my first sales job
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and that's where the- where's
0: the drive come from though I mean to 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 come to the United States at a young age, go into college, you know, I'm sure you had language capability already that you, you brought with you, but to learn more languages and in, in that process and through school and then exit that and go into sales and I mean, you weren't even 30 yet and you had done so much. And I'm just trying to really understand where that drive comes from. Is it how you were raised? Is it what your parents did for a living? What where did the the, the ambition, the drive come from? You're hardworking, and you talk about that in other interviews about how you how hard you work and you know in, in shaping your career. But I mean. Be honest with us. Where does that where does that drive come from?
1: Hey, you know, it's not that I'm not willing to share. I just think you'll be underwhelmed by the answers. It's okay. so, <laughs> uh I definitely came from a privileged background. Uh, both my parents were in academia. My father was in politics in the states and in Greece for part of his career. Uh, and they they both worked very hard. But what happened is, uh my parents had me later in life. Uh, I was a happy accident. And my other siblings were overachievers, very good in school, very good in sports. And, and I wasn't. I was a very mediocre, if not bad student. And uh, my parents didn't spend a lot of time with me in that regard, because again, they were older, and they already had two children that you know we're doing a lot of things, so maybe they thought that I would naturally sort of follow that trajectory, and and I didn't. So um, my my father passed when I was sixteen. Uh, he got sick and he got sick and passed in a very short time span. And because he had spent a lot of time in the states, and both my sisters were in the states, it was sort of the plan for me to also come here. But up to the point where I moved here when I was 17 to go to college, I really had no plan, structure, I mean, nothing. I wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't getting into trouble. But I definitely wasn't school-oriented or, again, structured, I think, is the main theme. Mm -hmm. So when I came over, I moved by myself. I didn't know anyone And for my first couple of years in college, I was failing miserably. I mean, again, I did not have that that background of of studying or coming back to structure, creating a regime for myself or really knowing how to operate in a a class environment. Uh, And sort of my turning point, I think, was I really wanted to study abroad. And I remember one of my professors telling me, you know, if you really don't turn this around, not only will the department not let you go study abroad, you won't even get a, a job, a, a degree that's good enough for you to get a job at Starbucks. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, yeah. And And again, I didn't know, like, I didn't have to work as a kid. I didn't have to work as a teenager. You know, my parents sort of provided for me. So I sort of thought that things would, you know, turn out fine because they always had um and that's when I really sort of turned it around and started you know forced myself to study spent a lot of time at the library got a few tutors and just had to get decent enough grades to graduate with a decent enough um score to be able to then get a job and after graduation I moved back to Greece and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and my sister called me and said listen I need someone to come sell for me in New York. Do you want to move here? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and I moved here and I was working remote because the company was based out of Alabama. Hmm. So I kind of had to figure a lot of things out on my own. New York was a new city, but I, I I jumped into it because I, I really didn't have another option. Uh, and and I really loved selling.
0: Before that, you, you, another podcast you mentioned, ag tourism I think is when tourism. You,
1: yeah that's, that's what, what you're going to do go before you through. came back
0: to the states I was right
1: go live in Italy on a farm and
0: oh, you, awesome. you know
1: just yeah but it's not a real life I mean
0: it, it, the picture you know the Tuscany Hills and this will this is what, what comes to be, mind yeah yes wow that would have been amazing so you did you have a chance to do that or that's what I you did, were going? I to did do?
1: not I moved to okay. New York
0: cool okay well, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, I think understanding someone's journey, whether it's underwhelming or overwhelming, either way, it's always good to. I, there's always lessons that we can we can take from that. I mean, you went through a lot of change and you overcame some adversity, uh, whether it be of your own, just uh, haphazard approach towards things, and finally getting a, a you know fire lit in, under you to 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 make it happen. But uh, definitely, it looks like perseverance, hard work, focus. These are things that you've talked about in other interviews uh and so about that let's go to your sales career a little bit sure there was a point in time where and you, you share the story a couple of times in other interviews where you i don't know which position it was i think it was an inside sales role um you're you struggling a little bit in the beginning and so you were staying in the office until 10 11 o'clock at night having your managers stay there with you and just really trying to perfect the, the pitch and understand the business and be effective and be your best and i think in a short window of time, you did really well because of that, right? Yes. Um, so, the burnout police are probably going to get me or get us for this one. But you mm-hmm. know, do you think that's the level of commitment it takes today for people to be successful, or the top people to be successful in sales? And is that what you see top founders and top salespeople doing—that level of work ethic, or is it, or do you do you not see it as often?
1: Yes and no, and I'll tell you what I mean. So, you know, I'm from a different generation. I'm not ancient, but I'm not, you know, Gen Z. Uh, And I think there was a different mentality towards working hard, playing hard, doing whatever it takes, which to your point right now, we talk a lot about burnout, which is real. Uh, People do not want to put that sort of effort in or there's more of a separation between work and life I did not have that separation mentally or practically when I started to sell because I didn't really have an option that the what you're referring to was my first cold calling job And my first startup, I had done sales before for my sister and for myself, but they were always outside door to door sales versus cold calling. So that was a new animal for me. And I was doing very bad. So in order to do well and keep that job, I had the mentality of tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. So I was shadowing top reps, I was practicing the script with my boyfriend at the time. I would practice in front of a mirror. I stayed in the office late. I forced my managers to stay late with me. I listened to my own calls like I was doing whatever I knew that I should do to put myself in the best position to win. Absolutely. Um and you'll see that there's a um there's a sort of like a a pushback from from newer sales reps to do that. And I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't do, but what I know from my experience is that the life in a startup of a sales rep is very different than the life in a big corporate Salesforce type of environment. If you're part of a startup where the main theme is growth and scaling and doing that in a very short period of time, you have to do whatever it takes if you want to succeed. And if that's not what you want to do, that's okay, but maybe that's not the right environment for you. And I think something to really sort of note there is that you don't have to do this type of work and put in these many hours forever. But in the beginning, until you learn, until you get the basics down, until you get to a point where you feel I got this, right? You need to put in that effort.
0: Right, right. John Burroughs talks about getting to that point of uh unconscious competence, right? Where you don't need the tactics and the structure so much. It's innate, really, at that point. It's a level of virtuosity, if you if you will. But yeah, I I agree 110%. I I think it's it's the same. As uh, in any career, really, uh, that that level of um, focus and hard work and uh, concentration has to go in and t- to get to be, if you, if you want to be the best, if you, you know, if you want to not just kind of get by, but if you want to be the best, particularly, I think there's that level and it's yeah, there's seasons to it. You don't always have to be grinding it out. It's it, it comes and goes.
1: Yep.
0: Um. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Now, uh, you kind of pushed your way into being a consultant at one point. So this is the consultant pod, sales consultant podcast, and so we, we I want to understand the consultant journey for a, a little bit. Now there was a point in time where you kind of pushed your way into it, and I think you were even willing to not take any money to to learn, go into an internship, and you know really, is it is it because you wanted to learn how to be an effective sales consultant, and what was driving you to be in that space? Why did you want to be a consultant so bad?
1: Um, I'll, I'll tell you what exactly happened. So okay. I was part of, of different, uh, early stage startups as a very early employee. And, uh, at some point during that sales career, I was introduced by my CEO to a company that needed consulting. So I had done that a little bit, mm-hmm. but only for a period of about three months, there was an Israeli company that was looking to come in the States and I helped them build out the go-to-market strategy. Uh, But I hadn't really done consulting before on a serious full-time basis. And the company I was working for got hit really bad from COVID because we were selling to the restaurant industry. So when that happened, I was thinking, okay, we're changing our model in order to be able to survive. I don't know how excited I am about this new offering that we have. What's next for me? Do I look for another startup? So what I do in in times of uncertainty, I have a network of mentors that I'll reach out and I'll say, hey, I'm thinking of X, what's your experience on this? Or what's your take on this? And a few different people that have known me for years suggested consulting. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And someone suggested uh, Ramped, which was the company I used to work for. And I had known Darren, the CEO from Main Street Hub, my first company. Uh, I knew he was competent when it came to sales. And I reached out and I said, hey, I have a full-time job. Not sure how long I'm going to be there for. I'm interested in learning. How do you feel about bringing me on? And we had two or three discussions. And eventually, you know, he was open to it. And I did go on initially as an intern. Uh, and mm-hmm. I did that for about eight months while I had my full time job. And at that point, I was burnt out. Right. Like, I was not able to keep doing both. And I loved consulting, I really did enjoy it. Uh, but so, why?
0: What, what is it about
1: the because role it of consulting? And I like a challenge. Mm-hmm. If you notice, I've never stayed at a startup. For more than two and a half years. And that's a long time for me right. because I feel that if I'm not learning something new and if I'm not making more money as I'm learning something new and applying it, I've reached a ceiling. This is not where I want to be anymore. Interesting. So um, it was something new, it was challenging. Uh, I got to learn from Darren and I got to apply everything I knew from 10 years of selling at that point right. and, and teach founders how to sell. And I was like, this is the best. How did I not know about this before? This is what I want to do. Wow. And um, I I was not physically able to do both jobs anymore. I was I mean, I was exhausted, so I basically sold Darren on bringing me on because he had his hesitations on whether he'd be able to afford to bring someone on full time and what that, you know, payment structure would look like. Right. Uh, so we we figured the structure out that that worked at the time. Interesting. And uh, yeah, I said goodbye to the startup and. I became a consultant full-time exactly two years ago at this point.
0: Well, okay, well, we'll celebrate anniversary then. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. It's an interesting story, though, to, you know, it, you kind of stumbled into it like you did with sales a little bit or people yeah. were recommending you get yeah. into consulting and mm-hmm. someone kind of they knew of you and, you know, they needed some help and you dabbled for a few months and two plus two equals four. And here you are two years later. Um, And, you know, particularly the internship and going in and doing that for eight months parallel to a full time job. I mean, that yeah, that sounds exhausting for sure. But it sounds like you you learned a ton in the process and it helped shape kind of where you are now and what your direction looks like from, from here. I'm curious how...
1: though. Go is ahead, I'm sorry. Jumping in. Um, I think you need to do this. I mean, I was talking to someone last week that you know has a full-time job. They don't really love their job. They want to go do something else. They're not sure if they're going to be good right. at this something else. And I was like, well, why don't you try it? Why don't you keep the security of your full-time job so you can pay your rent and afford your groceries and maybe kind of see do I have 10 hours left in the week or five hours left in the week? And maybe I can make a list of the hundred best companies I'm interested in this other field Mm. and say, Hey, I have a job, but I really want to learn. Can I, can I come on and, I don't know, you know, clean the floors for you. whatever yeah, I
0: mean, literally, that's where my head was at with it. Yeah, and, and,
1: and I want to learn. Yeah, and, an
0: apprenticeship.
1: Yeah. Like, well, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, you need to to take those risks and mm-hmm. you need to put in that work if if you're willing to to get to where you want to be. Right. No story is is easy, and I think that if things were super easy, they wouldn't be as rewarding.
0: Well, and it's 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 not free forever. I mean, you know, you're, that, that's the whole point. It's an investment, right? Yes. You know, clients often, uh, I'm sorry, consultants often will work for practically free in the beginning just to get the cycles right and get those reps yes. down and yes. get the recommendations maybe get some referrals and kind of kickstart that that process but yeah absolutely and it's, it's not it's like you were saying before you don't have to grind it out forever you also don't have to work for free forever but there's a period of time of learning the game and understanding because consulting is not the same as leading a team it, there no. are just like when you were a salesperson and you went to become a manager there was a whole host of dynamics that you were new to so getting into the consulting game from leading, there's a whole host of dynamics that, that come up. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, great advice. I agree 110%. Often people are stepping out to be a consultant and they're doing it as a solopreneur. And they're doing it for the first time on their own. I did that uh, the first time I was a consultant. I did it, I had to f- kind of figure it out as I went. And it was the same similar thing where I was kind of called upon and you know, it, it morphed into its own thing. But then working for someone else and working in a consultancy, uh, there's different dynamics there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so, how do you find clients typically as as a consultant? I know you have a, a large network and you're highly recommended. I see all of your recommendations on LinkedIn. Um, so, I imagine there's. the the network effect where people are talking about you and mentioning you. So it's kind of already happened. You've demonstrated that, but are there other ways for those that are new to consulting or making that transition and trying to build their funnel? What are some other approaches that you might have used to to find clients in the past?
1: I have a network now. Mm. I did not two years ago. Nobody knew me. And in fact, I still joke and I say, nobody knows me, right? I'm still very sort of new to this. Um, cold outreach. I mean, when I started at Ramped, uh, Darren had a lot of referrals come in because he was already doing that for about three years at the time, and he was starting to build his brand. Nobody knew me in this space. So it was cold outreach, cold outreach on LinkedIn, cold outreach over email. I remember I used to research accounts and make these personalized videos over Loom and just send them to people and say, hey, I'm Carol. This is what I'm doing. This way you should work with me. Uh, partnering with different early stage VCs. And I, you know, after two years of working at RAM full time, plus my eight months at the internship, I now have a a network of people I, you know, respect and are great in what they do. And, you know, hopefully they respect me and we help each other out. But I, I'm still... You know, as I as I'm going to be launching my my business, I will be doing cold outreach is the same in sales. You can't rest on your laurels. You always need to reach out to people.
0: It sounds like you're sipping on your own champagne, drinking your own beer, <laughs> all those things. Right. We're going to talk about cold calling and LinkedIn outreach here in a moment. But before we do, uh, when you look at your practice and working with consultants, I've asked this before with other professional trainers and coaches. Um. What blocks typically a client from getting the full value from your engagement? When you think about founder-led sales, pre-seed and where you you specialize in your wheelhouse and you're in those engagements for whatever period of time, what typically blocks the client from getting the full value from, from what you offer in those engagements?
1: You mean before they start, like what blocks? No, after, like when, the, when when the you're walking
0: route. through the process, maybe you're, you know, working through the playbook, you're working through product market fit, ideal customer profile analysis, mm-hmm. right? When you're going through these stages that you work through with your clients, not every engagement is perfect. Let's be sure. honest, right? Like the, there's parts of the engagement that go really well and there's parts of the engagement sometimes that don't go so well. So. Sure. How do how do the how do customers get in their own way? How do clients get in their own way from blocking the value that you bring to, to the engagement? I mean, that's a I better mean, way of asking.
1: People, it. people get in their own way all the time. <laughs> um, um, it doesn't just have to be founders doing sales. It could be salespeople or, you know, think think of yourself, right? Let's say you want to work out and you have this big goal and you go to the gym and the trainer says, I want you to do X, Y, and Z, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then a month goes by and you haven't done anything. You can't blame the trainer for you not getting into shape. So when you work work as a consultant or a sales coach or, or a trainer, there's this back and forth. There's this relationship where you take your expertise and you take everything that you know and you communicate it in different ways to the client, but you're not responsible for the execution. So there needs to be a clear understanding from the get-go that this is what I'm responsible for, this is what I'm going to deliver to you, this is what I need you to do, otherwise the playbooks and the ICP analysis is not worth anything, it's just a piece of paper. They need to execute and they need to report back and there's constant iteration. And there needs to be a communication loop in place. And there need to be clear guidelines for both parties of this is what I'm delivering to you. This is what I need you to deliver to me. And I think that, you know, I've heard this from other consultants. Oh, I hate this client. Well, did you tell them what they need to do? No, I kind of figured they'd do it. I mean, you mm, need to act as, as that guide and and you need the handholding because, you know, someone may be a brilliant Ivy League engineer that has built a bunch of companies, but selling isn't their strong suit. So there you need to realize that you will treat them as a junior salesperson because they don't know and you're responsible to teach them.
0: Yeah, um, you, you. it sounds like it's kind of the opposite of some of those things you mentioned where it's. The, not if you don't have the feedback loop and the communication loop, then that's probably what gets in the way, and, and those sorts of things, right? So, it, it, I think there's a level of cooperation. Sounds like in the engagement that you're looking for on both sides. Like we have to do, we have to be open and be able to speak plainly to our clients uh, about what we're seeing in the business as well. And sometimes that's not always met with, you know. Uh, happy years, right? I mean, but that's the reality of our role at times is,
1: you know, pointing out
0: that, go ahead. You
1: should try and, you know, you're not always going to be successful at this, Mm -hmm. but you should try to create those expectations before you bring the client on. You need to be very clear on what you're going to deliver during the engagement and what the results are going to be at the end of this engagement. And they, you need to be clear with them on the time commitment and the actions That you expect on their end. Otherwise, if and and things may still take a left turn, a left turn, all the time. But you need to make sure you set those ground rules before before you begin.
0: Fair enough. Now, in that stage of founder-led sales, you've talked a lot about how often founders will maybe look at sales as sort of an afterthought. And it's, you know, we're we're building a product, we're taking something from concept to reality. And yeah. I think at times it's the, uh, and I think you've also said this is the, the notion of if I build it, they will come. Yes. Is, is that effectively still what you're, so what's, I mean, why is that? And, you know, it's, the product's not going to sell itself. We know that, but, um, and, and there's different motions. There's product led motions that will effectively sell itself. Uh, but in, and if you're not in that situation where you need to have the founder and where's their hesitation to, to, to do the selling. I imagine, you know, they're leaning heavy on their board for referrals. They're probably leaning heavy on their network, you know, kind of like you do as a consultant and, you know, maximizing those channels. But is, is that what they kind of rest on those laurels? Is that what it is? And they why they think they just I'll use other channels. I don't need to be out there front and center. Why do uh, founders hesitate to put themselves out there? Define. find?
1: There's a couple of different reasons. Number one is they just don't know better. This mm-hmm. is not their area of expertise to me and you, because we are salespeople, it's obvious to them. It's not similarly, if I tried to code, I mean, I, I I don't know how to do it. It's not what I've done. Someone would need to teach me the ABCs. So that's part one. Part two. If you are
0: building a coding product though, if you were, if you were, if you did know how to code and you were building a product around that, I mean, it would be natural extension for, even if you weren't a salesperson to be, talking about it i mean it, it, you look at found rounds of found, uh, uh of getting finance right you're out there talking to the investors
1: yeah, but people is- suck at raising money mm-hmm. you know people suck at selling it's not if they're it's not an environment where they've been in before if it's not a skill that comes naturally they it it's it's hard to figure out what they need to do even if there's someone like you and me because we do interact with people Right. it it it's like duh of course i of course i need to do this so i think that's one of it i think another is sales gets a pretty bad rap you mm. think of a salesperson you think of the used car salesperson right nobody wants to talk to that person so i've heard it a lot of times from founders and i've been equally shocked every time that you know i don't want to talk to customers because i don't want to come across as pushy they think it's the only way to sell sales for them is this nasty, pushy, in-your-face uh, type of thing versus I'm just trying to uncover pain points. I'm just curious to see if my product can help. I, so I think it's a reputation that comes with sales. I think, as we said, it's the fact that we don't know. It's something you just mentioned that they feel that because they may get introductions from their accelerator, founder network, VC, that that's enough to get the motion going, or simply they may believe that the product will sell itself, which, which, which rarely happens, or they believe that I can just pay a VP that has a strong track record to come in and figure this out for me, which also doesn't work. The founder needs to sell first. And it's that's right there. What you sell, just said,
0: that's, that's, that's huge. Right.
1: But again, they don't know that. They think Mm -hmm. I'm good at the engineering, the product part. I don't need to be good at the sales part. Therefore, I'll outsource it early. uh, So I don't have to deal with it. But if the founder can't sell a product, no one can sell a product because no one will ever be as passionate or knowledgeable about the product and the problem as the founders are. And that's why I always tell founders, fall in love with the problem, worry about the solution later. Because if you've experienced the problem and if there's a ton of other people that also experienced the problem and can talk to you about it, you'll get so good at being able to talk about how big and urgent that pain is that that will help you sell it.
0: Wow. So if I had founded a company and I checked the boxes in terms of founder-led sales, right? I went out there, did roll my sleeves up, literally, and uh, and did the work, and was able to shape this a little bit, right? Kind of get it off of its knees onto its feet, and so it's walking a little bit. You know, the infancy stage, and uh, meaning I have a little bit of understanding of who the persona is. I've been able to get, validate that a bit. Maybe been able to validate the product market fit and the messaging and these things a little bit. Now I may I'm ready to bring that VP in because I've have some the, the makings of a playbook that they can now continue to build on and accelerate sure. not replace that effort for me so got that what are those top things that we need to do to do that effectively I know you've talked about hiring process and when and how to scale but you know if I've checked all the boxes and I'm ready to go to hire my first vp of sales build out a sales organization what what are the top things i need to be mindful of in that transition because i'd imagine that's not necess- that's another thing that's Hard to crack as well. as taking all those learnings from the founder and what they did and what worked for them, and now trying to duplicate that with the sales organization.
1: Yeah, it it's a it's a good question, and there's a lot to uncover here. So one thing I would say at the start is that even if you've sold as a founder successfully to your first handful of customers, and you have a basic process down that you know kind of works. I wouldn't hire a VP right away. I'd hire uh, a salesperson. I'd hire an individual contributor to help me that I can then teach this process to. I think you're still too early, mm-hmm. and then you decide whether that's a an SDR, BDR, or whether that's a full cycle person, depending on your product and sales cycle and how robust the process that you've built is and how much bandwidth you have and whether you need an appointment setter where you then take over the demo or you need someone to, to work with you, but it's still, it's still too early to bring on senior leadership. I mean, who are they going to lead? You mm-hmm. just need someone that.
0: Well, uh, yeah, To your point, they would, they would build it as they fly. They would be out talking and selling while they're trying yeah. to recruit and hire. You yeah. want someone
1: that's willing to roll up their sleeves and figure this shit out with you someone a franchise player
0: you can build around Mm -hmm.
1: yeah 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 exactly um but when you decide to bring someone in what you want to be thinking of which is something i talk about a lot is how do you equip that person for success do you have a crm that they can use where they can seal the accounts how are they going to call do you have a prospecting tool? Are you using LinkedIn or Sales Navigator? Do you have any
0: or, lead flow tracking? Yeah, or you
1: or know, whatever. What are you yeah. using? What's your tech stack? Uh, do you have a script they can follow? Do you have case studies they can read through? Uh, do you have demos recorded that they can listen to? Mm-hmm. How do you explain your mission and vision? How do you really train them and all the ins and outs of the product to make sure that when they talk to a customer, they can sound almost as good as you do. And then that you can replicate that process and iterate on it as you grow and you're talking to more people and potentially you're selling to different segments. But imagine that person is coming in blind because they are Mm -hmm. and you need to teach them everything, everything you know. So how are you going to do that? And those are the things founders need to be thinking of.
0: Right. So during that founder-led sales motion, you just rattled off a checklist of things. So if you're listening to this episode, go back, listen to those things that she just mentioned. That is the guide of things you need to have checked off and ready before you hire that first BDR, that first salesperson, whatever it is that you hire based on you know the recommendation we're hearing uh, from. Is, is you know have that stuff dialed in that script, and I think it would be natural human behavior for a founder who's very uh, you know, ambitious about selling, actually, because not every founder is, you know, uh, apprehensive to the process. Some will grab the reins and jump in there and do it. But are you documenting it? Are you making, recording those demos? Are you getting this packaged in a way that it's ready to hand off to someone so that they don't come in blind and they can take the the reins from you, if you will, and and run with it, right? Yep. So uh, in closing, talk to us about your your new venture you're you know turning corners here and you're starting something of your own. Uh, what can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. so I'm going to be launching uh, my website in the next couple of weeks which I'm really excited about the name of the company is market pool nice. uh, has, has anybody
0: heard this before are we, are we hearing it first for the uh, here for the first time
1: no you're hearing it first
0: Market pool I love it go ahead.
1: Uh, and essentially what market poll is, is a free sales content guide for early stage startups. And the reason for that is because a lot of founders I've worked with in the past have told me that, Hey, you know, I don't know when to hire who to hire, how to figure out my different uh, buyer personas, how to build a playbook, how to even have those initial customer conversations. And I read all these different things online and on LinkedIn that tell me, do a discovery, don't do a discovery. You should charge, you should keep it free. You should wait till you hit a million in ARR you should hire after your 10 sales. They they listen to, they see all these different things and they don't know what to listen to. So I wanted to create something that's tactical, easy to follow that people can read and say, okay, yeah, this makes sense. I can follow this. This is what I'm going to do.
0: Awesome. And I think you have uh, pretty big plans for this as well. You um, don't plan to stay a solopreneur with it.
1: Eventually, I'd love to to grow this out. I have a couple of different ideas of, you know, what I want to do. I definitely don't want to be a trainer, sales coach and and just do that. but uh, TBD.
0: Okay, okay. well, uh, market pool, you're hearing it first here on the sales consultant podcast. Carol, thank you so much. Where should people find you if they want to look you up?
1: LinkedIn is the best place to reach out. And of course, it's going to be marketpull.com, M-A-R-K-E-T-P-U-L-L.com.
0: You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.